So the, the last couple of weeks, um, Matt Q, our pastoral intern, um, started off our series, What is the Church? And he was talking about the, the essence of the church. Um, and as, as we begin this week and thinking more about the church, and, and in, in particular, we're, we're ask, answering the question and asking the question, what is the purpose of the church? We're going to read from 2 Corinthians 5. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn to 2 Corinthians 5, and we'll be in several places today, um, but, but that'll be the one I come back to um, multiple times. And this is a passage that really helps us understand how the church is to live. It reminds us of what our priorities are as God's people. Uh, so as you, as you read along with me, or, or maybe you're just listening, um, I would encourage you to not, not to simply think about how this applies to you, not to just think about yourself, but, but I want you to think about yourself as a part of the church. Um, our default as Westerners, as Americans, we're, we're uh, so individualistic. And we approach scripture that way as if it was just written to a bunch of individuals. And, and yet so often what we find is, is that uh, scripture is written to God's people together, collectively, corporately. So um, I want you to think that way. I don't want you to just see yourself individually in this passage or in these passages. But, but as a part of God's body, I, I wish that, that like a computer, I could just go into like your settings and change the default mode and get it off individual and change it to like the, the whole church. But I, I can't do that, which you should probably be happy that I don't have that power. So um, here we go. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are, Christ, or we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we'll come back to that passage in a moment. I don't know if you've heard of uh, the term feature creep. It's a term I had not heard before, but feature creep is uh, the excessive uh, ongoing expansion or addition of new features uh, to a product. So particularly like in, in software, um, in video games, in uh, consumer and business electronics. In the 90s, there was a product that several companies were working on at the same time. And, and they were trying to obviously successfully la launch their product in the market. It was called the personal digital assistant. Some of you uh, probably remember what we called back then PDAs. Um, and in the early 90s, PDAs had an unblemished record of failure. 
Every, every PDA that was released hit the market and absolutely tanked. Apple uh, had a, a famous debacle with their PDA called the Newton PDA. Um, and, and because Apple failed, that, that caused a lot of other companies to be gun shy. Well, the Palm Pilot team, uh, they were aware of feature creep and they took a hard line against it when, uh, when their team began their work. Uh, one, of, one of their competitors in 94 came out with what looked like, it looked like a malnourished computer. It, it was small-ish, but, but it had a, a clunky keyboard. It had all these ports and all, all these features. Uh, so the Palm Pilot team leader, Jeff Hawkins, he was determined that their product, the Palm Pilot right there, um, would, would avoid this, this fate of death by feature creep. He wanted the Palm Pilot to be simple, so it was only going to have uh, four, four features. It, it handled a calendar, contacts, memos, and, and then uh, a task list. Um, so even though it only did four things, it did those four things really, really well. Uh, so Hawkins, to fight feature creep, he, uh, he had a block of wood that he carried everywhere with him that was about the size of the Palm Pilot, right? Imagine about the size of a cell phone um, nowadays. Um, and, and he would carry this everywhere. In, in meetings, he would pull out his block of wood and pretend to take notes on it. In the hall, when someone asked him about uh, scheduling uh, something, he would pull out his block of wood and pretend that he was getting on his calendar. When, um, when someone in, in, in a planning meeting would say, hey, what about adding this feature? He'd pull out the block of wood and say, oh, that's a great feature, but where would it fit here? Um, Trey uh, Valseo, a member of, of the design team, said the block was dumb, which resonated with the simple technological goals of the product. But it was also small, which made the product elegant and different. Um, Jeff did a great job of helping his team, uh, as they worked on the Palm Pilot, know what the Palm Pilot was about, what the purpose of the Palm Pilot was, so that it didn't die uh, the death of feature creep. The church needs to understand what it's about. The church needs to understand its purpose. I think Matt did a, a solid job uh, over the last two weeks of helping us understand the essence of the church. And, and today uh, we're asking, what is the purpose of the church? And we're looking at kind of like a, a 30,000 foot view. So we're not getting into a lot of nitty gritty details that maybe, maybe you wish uh, that we would. Uh, I remember uh, two weeks ago in Matt's sermon, he took us to Ephesians. We were all over Ephesians that day, uh, but 321 really jumped off uh, the, the page. It says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory in the church. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. Right? That's what we're here for. God's glory is what our hearts collectively as a church should beat for. Um, the, the believer, for the believer, it's God's glory that matters above all else. So let, let's start with two uh, pretty familiar passages in Matthew, uh, both in Matthew. Uh, the first, the greatest commandment, Matthew twenty two thirty six says this. Uh, someone came up to Jesus and said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This greatest commandment that Christians are to focus on obeying is fully loving God. 
With all of who we are, this is to be an all-encompassing response as God's people that we would fully love him. If you bought into a brand of Christianity that is less than your whole self, loving Christ, you've believed in a lie. Jesus says this, this greatest commandment to fully love God, is it's with all that you have. So church, we live for him. We live to give him glory in every aspect of who we are. The church's purpose is to glorify God, to help show God's glory, how, how truly great he is, how gracious he is, how beautiful, how just, how powerful, how merciful, how loving God is. Kevin Van Huser, theologian, writes, the church's main purpose is living each day, all day, to the glory of God. Uh, you might remember back in 1 Peter 2.9, uh, this verse is, is Peter helps the church understand who they are. He says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? This is what we are about, proclaiming the excellencies of God. So Jesus answered with the verse 39. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your commandments, depend on all, all the law and prophets. Part of how we glorify God has to do with how we relate with one another. Both how we relate with Christians as Christians and how we relate to non-Christians. We're, we're called to love as we love ourselves. And the Great Commission also helps us understand how we engage the world in order to glorify our great God. This is Matthew 29, or 28, 19 through 20. And this is just before Jesus' ascension. He says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what's the purpose of the church? The purpose, our purpose, is to glorify God. Right? The church is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about your coworker, your neighbor, your friend, your mom. It, it, it's about God. It's about God and his glory primarily, but we are so good at making the church about us. We're so good about making the church about people. And this is the gravitational pull that I think every church fights, is, is to not make it about people, but primarily it is about God and his glory. A ton of ways, um, but, but there two pretty sneaky ways that, that sound right because they, they, there's, there's a piece of them that is biblical, but, it, but it, goes, uh, it goes the wrong direction. So one way, on this end, we, we make a church that primarily exists to evangelize, which this sounds good, this sounds right. Obviously, we want people who do not trust in Jesus yet to come trust in Jesus. That is biblical but with the sleight of hand, a church can become more about non-Christians than it is about God. You might remember, maybe you've heard of 
um, uh, a while back, the seeker-sensitive movement that, that uh, happened in, in churches in the States. Uh, the, the aim was their problem, right? They, they tried to get into the minds of unbelievers and, and, and help figure out what is it going to take to get them in our building? And, and what will it take uh, to make them comfortable and, and what do we need to do uh, so, so that, they'll, that they'll hear the message of the gospel? And, and yet so often that gospel message was, was watered down as they were trying to make it palatable um, for unbelievers. And the problem was it, it was not primarily about God. Their, their shift was, was primarily on the unchurched. So everything was planned with the unbeliever in mind. And here's what happened. In an attempt to win the loss, the church lost who the church was about and therefore who they were. Charles Spurgeon, obviously long before the seeker-sensitive movement, he, he said this about, uh, about the world and its influence on the church. He said, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. And another time he said, the very church which the world likes best is sure to be that which God abhors. So then on the other end, rather than making it all about the, the unbeliever, we can make it all about the believer. So the, the purpose of this church would be uh, uh, Christian growth. So everything we do has to do with growing and building up Christians. Lots of classes and programs for the church. Everything feeding the Christian. And this, um, this it's true that the local church exists uh, or exists for Christians to be a part of. And, and this, this model is closer uh, to the biblical model. Uh, but still it misses the priorities of the church. Tim Challey's uh, pastor and blogger, he wrote this. He said, in, in large degree, it simply repackages the consumerism of the seeker-sensitive movement with a new target audience so that the perceived needs of Christians become the ultimate determining factor for all the church does. And then he says, when we understand that the local church exists by God and for God, we see that God's glory not the needs of the saved or unsaved, is meant to be the ultimate determining factor for all the church does. The church does emphasize reaching the lost. The church does emphasize edifying the saved, but in doing, or it does so in ways that are honoring to God and consistent with his will. The church is not about us. The church is about God's glory. Ephesians 3.10, another passage, or another verse from a couple weeks ago, Says this, so that through the church, the manifold or I think multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church, the glory of God will be made known in the world. Right? This is what the church is to do. So how do we go about doing this? Three primary ways that, that we're talking about today. Worship, which I hope you know, that it's not just singing, um, but we worship God. Uh, the second is discipleship, and by that I mean Christians growing together in Christ, following Christ together, the body being edified. And then third, evangelism. Mark Dever uh, put it this way. He said the proper ends for a local congregation's life and actions are the worship of God, the edification of the church, and the evangelization of the world. These three purposes in turn serve to glorify God. 
So let's get back to 2 Corinthians 5 now. He said in the, in the beginning of verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. And then uh, towards the end of 15, he says that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Christians, the church, we're, we're controlled by the, the love of Christ. Right? One translation um, reads, the, the love of Christ compels us. The Christ follower has been so changed by the gospel that they're controlled by the overwhelming love of their Savior. If you were to go rafting on the uh, Deschutes River out of Maupin towards the end of your float, I, th- I think it's like an eight-mile float or something like that, uh, you come to a place called uh, Lower Elevators. And this is a place where a lot, of, uh, a lot of guides will pull their boat over there and uh, they'll hike there. Anybody that wants to, they hike them up to this, this one point um, next to the river. And with their flotation device on, they jump into the river. And, and just where it is with the, the bend of the river, you're able to pretty easily jump right into the current. And what happens is the current shoots you down the river. And, and there's all these waves. And you go up and down. That's why they call it the elevators. You go up and down and up and down. And then towards the end of uh, this rapid, you swim like crazy, get out of the current, and, and get over uh, to... Uh, to the shore where, where, where your guide and, and your friends help you up out of the raft or out of the river. But, but when you jump in to that point, there's so much current that there is only one option which way you're going to go, right? The, the river, it compels you, it controls you. And isn't it that way when, when, we're, when we're confronted with the reality of the gospel, when we come to know the love of Christ, do you remember when that happened in your life? Maybe you'd heard the gospel dozens of times, but it it didn't make sense to you. And then at some point you came to realize, you came to understand for the first time the good news that Jesus died for you and it changed everything. Do Do you remember that? God gives you life. He makes you this, this new creation and, and everything's different. All your priorities are, are now shifted. They're adjusted to Christ, to knowing and loving, to glorifying God. The, the Christian is controlled by this reality. And now your heart beats to bring God glory. Your heart beats to worship the Lord. Your, your life is an offering to Christ, as, as Paul says in Romans 12, that, that we offer our whole selves, we, we put our bodies up on the altar as this living sacrifice to God. It's our spiritual act of worship. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, he goes on, at the beginning of the verse, he says, uh, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to, to the flesh, right? The gospel so changes us that not only are we a new creation in Christ, but, but we don't even view the world like we used to, right? We, we don't see our neighbor, our, our coworker, our friend, our family member the way we used to. We see through a spiritual lens now, right? So we see, uh, we see those who've trusted in Jesus already, and we long for them to continue in Christ. We long for them to grow in Christ, 
Right? The church is growing believers in knowing Christ. We're, we're, we're becoming more and more like Christ. We're, we're disciples of Christ, becoming like him in, in, in how we think, feel, and act. We also, we, we see people who don't know Jesus, and we long for them to come to know Jesus in, in a saving way. Verse 18, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's amazing enough here that it tells us what Christ has done in reconciling us to God. For for those who've trusted in him, but he doesn't stop there. He says, church... You have been given this ministry of reconciliation. That that in Christ, God's reconciling the world to himself. Church, you are a part of that. And it's shocking that that God would use broken, sinful people that that have been redeemed and and give them the ministry of reconciliation. This is our this is our mission. Remember, we read the Great Commission earlier. Go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. God's trusted His church with this mission. Um, there are certain tasks that uh, that aren't that important, but maybe you don't have time to do it, so you pass that off to someone else. If you're a parent, maybe you've done that, right? Like you, you need you need someone to whatever take out the garbage, okay? Um, but then there are other tasks that are a, a big deal, right? Let's say I had something uh, really important to me, right? Um, my eight-year-old son, he's a little crazy, right? Like he's all boy through and through, um, very capable of breaking something valuable, okay? He hasn't done that a ton, but he's totally capable. So I'm not going to give to Hudson Right, this like this gift I bought for my wife to go hide in the closet before her birthday. Okay, I'm not giving that to Hudson. Maybe I'll give that to my 15 year old, though he just damaged something last night at home too. So probably what I'm going to do is I'm going to take care of it myself. Right? Like I trust me. It's shocking that God gives us His church this ministry of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation. What is more important that he could trust us with? Paul goes on, verse 20. says, therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is making his appeal through us, his people. We're representatives of Christ. We are ambassadors for Jesus, the King of kings. We're controlled by the love of Christ. So we long to see those in Christ, to continue in Christ. We long to see those who've rejected Jesus, to turn to him, be reconciled to him, that they too can become a part of God's people. So, so how does the church do this? We, I mentioned worship, discipleship, and evangelism. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about our Sunday gathering and, and what we do here, why we do that biblically. Um, and it's, it, our worship isn't just, like I said, our singing. 
right? It, it's, it, it should be everything that we do as we gather, right? And, and, it's, and it's funneled through God's revelation to us. His, his word tells us, right? So we, we read scripture, we, we pray scripture, we, we preach scripture, uh, we sing truth, we sing truths from scripture. So we'll, we'll talk about that in, in, I think it's in two weeks, but what that looks like on Sundays. But worship, not only is it not just singing, it's not just Sundays, right? It's, it's not just our, our, our little time here Sunday morning. No, we're, we're Christians all through the week, every hour of the day. Our worship is what we value and what we treasure. It's what you passionately pursue. It's what you love above all else. So Harvest, how are we doing in this area? Right? Do we worship the Lord with all that we have, with all that we value? Is it evident when we gather? And I don't just mean during our service, right? During the, the times that we've planned and, and, and prayed through, but even before and after our service, even throughout the week, are we concerned with other people from our church continuing in Christ? Are you encouraging people in this body to grow in Jesus? As you go through your week, do you find yourself just praying for a brother or sister in Christ, maybe that you talked to earlier that week, or, or maybe not, maybe they're just on your heart? When we have something to praise God for, do you share that with other Christians, right? Are, are you quick to be an encourager uh, of what God is doing? And man, if ever there's a time we've needed, I feel like it's been this year. We need to be encouraged. At our men's breakfast yesterday, which by the way, it was like an oasis. It's the most normal thing I've done in like nine months or however long this pandemic's been. It was so great to get in this room, be with guys, be encouraged. It was, it was still a little bit different, but it was, it was great. Anyway, we're, we're wrapping up kind of our, our planned time. Someone, uh, we, we just finished praying together and we're right on the cusp of, of uh, just basically hanging out and talking with individuals. And, and, and just before we did that, a guy stopped us and said, hey, I, I just gotta share I just got to share praise. And he shared with us, and I'm so glad he did. It was so encouraging. And then what happened was another guy after him shared something that he praised God for. Are we quick to praise God? Is our life as a church marked by worship of God in all that we do? Discipleship, and I'm calling it discipleship. It's, it's edifying the body, building up of the body. It's growing together in Christ. And so often, for so much of my Christian life, I've thought of discipleship really in a one-on-one -on -one way, right? Meeting with someone one-on-one -on -one to, uh, to grow and mature in Christ. And, and that is a part of our discipleship. But if that's all of our discipleship, man, we're off. We're going to be lopsided. It would be like going to the gym um, and, and deciding the only exercise you're going to do at the gym is curls, but not only that, the only arm you're going to do it on is your right arm. And let's just say you did that for months, maybe years. You'd look really strange eventually. You just have this massive bicep on your right arm. You'd probably have to try and hide your left arm from others so they don't laugh at you. When our discipleship only consists 
of, of one person in our life that's helping us mature, we will be lopsided. It's the church collectively that, that, that disciples. Ephesians 4, 15 and, and following says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is, it is equipped. When each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You, you catch that? When, when each part is working properly, the, the whole body grows. It is in the church that discipleship happens. And, and it happens in a lot of ways. It, it happens in our Sunday gathering. It happens in, in fellowship before and after the service or, or other times that you get together. It happens as, as we live life together outside of this building even. It happens over coffee or over a walk or, or, or at, a, at a play group or things like men's breakfast or community groups or Bible studies. It'll happen tonight as we show the second part of that documentary. Um, it, we're going to be discipled. Part of our discipleship will happen with these believers that put together this documentary for us, people that maybe we'll never meet. But discipleship happens in all aspects of the life of the church. So are you growing as a disciple? Right? Are we growing as a church in our discipleship? Or has your growth stagnated? If you're not growing, are you are you really involved in the body of Christ? Or, or is it just kind of your Sunday thing? Are you committed to your church, whether that's Harvest or if you're visiting with us at another church? How about fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? Right? Is there a depth to your conversation? Or are you like me? Like so often, I just find myself talking about weather or, or sports or fishing or politics. When I could be, talking with this brother or sister in Christ uh, about Jesus, uh, about, uh, about my struggles, uh, about victories in Christ. Remember, uh, like I read earlier from 1 Peter 2.9, uh, we're a royal priesthood, right? We're, we're each uh, ministering as priests. Do you do that with others in your church? Are you concerned with the building up of the body? Are you using the gifts that God has given you to build the church up, to edify the church. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis uh, wrote a book together and they said in it, um, it is in the family of God that I am able to care and be cared for, love and be loved, forgive and be forgiven, rebuke and be rebuked, encourage and be encouraged, all of which is essential to the task of being a disciple of the risen Lord Jesus. Our discipleship happens by the church and, and, and it glorifies Christ. Lastly, uh, evangelism. While uh, the church is first a gathering of God's people, it's also a gathering that we long for unbelievers to come to and to hear the gospel. Not that that's the only way they can hear the gospel at all. We, we, we want to see Christians, uh, or we want to see unbelievers come hear the gospel and see Christians live out the gospel. As we already read in 2 Corinthians 5, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. So as the church, we're to, we're to engage the world holistically with the gospel 
So gospel words and gospel works in tandem, preaching to the world about the love of Christ, that, that reconciliation is available in Christ and Christ alone. The church must have a heart for the world to come to know and trust in Jesus as their Savior. And, and this mission is both local right here, but it's also global. It's all over the world. And, and as you read your Bible, I hope that, that you, you look for, okay, where, where's God's heart for the nations? Because you're going to see it throughout, uh, throughout Scripture from cover to cover. Evangelism isn't just a good option for a church. It's a critical piece to uh, the life of the church. Uh, D.A. Carson um, is a brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, he's written, uh, written or edited over 60 books. He, uh, he was a professor of uh, New Testament studies at, I think, at multiple universities. Uh, he started um, the, the Gospel Coalition. Um, he's Canadian. Uh, he's, his accent to me is really interesting. It's not like other Canadian accents I've heard. So when, when he speaks, he, he sounds incredibly proper to me. Um, anyway, all that to set up this quote, because um, I can't picture this coming out of his, his mouth. He said, in regards to the church, evangelize or die, which is yeah, that's how I feel. Thank you. Um, it, it, well, and part of it is there was a, a video game in the 80s called Skate or Die. I'm sure D.A. Carson has never heard of that video game. But th there's a logic to his tiny little quote here. If the church doesn't share the gospel, if the church doesn't evangelize, no one will come to know Jesus. Right? How will they respond if they have not heard the gospel preached? But a church that has a longing for the lost to come to Christ, it will not die. It has life in it. There's a, a, a pep in its step, a body where people are added, not because they're moving up from California or, or wherever, but added because people are coming to know Jesus. That church will be full of life. It will be vibrant, and it will fuel this fire of longing for more and more to come to know Jesus. And I long for us to grow in that way. And I'm not trying to beat anyone up here, but I think we pretty regularly need to take an inventory and say, man, when's the last time I was in a conversation with someone who didn't know Jesus and, and, and I, was, I was looking for an opportunity to just share with them about Christ, to, to just share even part of the gospel, hopefully the whole thing, but, but even just parts in hopes that there'd be more conversations later. Are you looking for opportunities to talk about Jesus in your daily life? And if you aren't, what's holding you back? Like, what's the biggest reason that holds you back from, from, from sharing with others about Christ? Are we praying for the lost to be saved? The Father is very glorified when his people talk about his son Jesus, even when the hearer does not respond in faith. When we step out in faith and talk about Jesus, we bring God glory. And, and like I said, this is a global thing as well. Churches often pay lip service to missions, even throw some money towards missions and outreach, um, but, but remain very self-focused. It's easy for a church to have Christians that know a ton about the Bible, have great theology, but haven't seen someone saved in years. J.D. Greer says, without the mission, a church is not a church. It's just a bunch 
Uh, it's just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out. So how, how involved are you? How aware are you uh, of, uh, of what's going on globally in missions? Uh, you could start by going out into our, into our hall here. We've got uh, a bulletin board with all of our missionaries that we support. You, you could pick one or two of those and just start regularly praying for them. At some point, we'll, we'll probably have a perspectives class here uh, again in the next couple years. And if your heart uh, for missions is on life support, man, perspectives class might be the answer for it. But the purpose of the church is to glorify God, primarily through worship, discipleship, and evangelism. Obviously, there's a ton of ways that that, that plays out under those three things. But I want to close with this. I want to close with talking about how critical unity in the body of Christ is and how that glorifies God. Ephesians 4.1, perhaps a familiar passage. I therefore, a prisoner uh, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy uh, of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The unity in the church is critical for uh, us to glorify God. How effective can our ministry of reconciliation be if we're not reconciled with one another? The church has to be a place of reconciliation. What kind of testimony will we really have if we're full of division and, and broken relationships? But our unity, our unity doesn't happen because we dig deep and figure out how to forgive one another. No, our unity is, is with Christ and therefore with one another. A.W. Tozer makes this point uh, that, that we so glorify God by, by becoming united in Christ by, by becoming like Christ. He gives this illustration. If you had a hundred pianos and, and you, you tuned all these pianos to one another and, and, and played the same note in each piano, you'd find that the pianos actually aren't all that well in tune. It's not in unison. But if you tuned each of those hundred pianos to one tuning fork, they would be in tune with one another. And he says, similarly, unity in the church isn't trying to be the same as everyone else. Rather, it's becoming like Jesus Christ. And the church united in Christ glorifies God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, uh, we love you, Lord. We, we long to glorify you, and we want to get better and better at that as a body. We want to be more and more effective. Uh, Lord, we want to be a, a people that, that worship you uh, with everything that we have. We want to be a, a people that, that we really are making disciples, that our, our discipleship uh, is happening within this body. We want to be a people that, that are eager to, to speak about you. Lord, we, we want to see people come to know you and get baptized, Lord, that their, that their eternity would be changed forever by you, Lord. God, we, we want to bring you glory in what we do, and, and we need you. Uh, we need your help to do that in us, God. Would you grow us as a body? Would you make us more and more like you? Would you make us more and more like the church that you, you lay out for us in Scripture, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen.